it brings me great joy to hear the people of God singing praises to God. Uh, it's, it really is the highlight of my week, uh, listening to our choir, our band, our congregation. Uh, it brings me great joy uh, to, hear you there, to hear you sing. There are times when I get so caught up in listening to you uh, that I just stand down here at front, close my eyes, and I picture this is what heaven will be like. Just a multitude of people in that great throne room worshiping, uh, singing, singing those old-timey songs that we love, the new songs, songs we've never heard of, you know, because it is heaven, uh, and then just praising and worshiping God. Uh, this morning, uh, we'll be in John chapter 5, uh, continuing our series, Come and See. And I want to ask uh, just a very simple question for you to think about. What's the purpose of a gift? What is the purpose of a gift? Uh, for me, the purpose of a gift is something that I can use, something that I can enjoy, uh, something that may make my life just a little bit easier. Uh, I know that uh, this time of year I've seen a lot of teachers uh, p- putting their Amazon wish list up. And they're like, this is what I need for my classroom. And they're inviting people to go and buy those things. And that's a gift. A gift for the teachers to enjoy. A gift for the teachers to use. Uh, and it's just something that's good. Not that many years ago, uh, I needed a grill. I love to grill. Grilling chicken, grilling steaks. I love it. I mean, it's just there's nothing better than a grilled steak. And, and I can grill a steak better than any restaurant uh, anywhere around. It's fantastic. But I needed a grill. My, my grill had broke. And so for Christmas, a, a, somebody's laughing. <laughs> so for Christmas, uh, a very nice gift giver, I, I won't use his name because he watches the online, and this is something that I don't want edited, but a, gen, a generous gift giver bought me a grill for, for Christmas. And I, I was like, and, and so this is how it went down. We're sitting in this place with other people, and I opened this box, and there's a picture of a grill. And it says, go to the building. And I was like, yes, I got a grill. So I went to the building, and it's just this big box. Now, there was a picture of the grill on the box. But I'm like, that's okay. I got a grill. I'm thankful for the grill. I'm going to enjoy cooking on the grill. It's going to be fantastic. So I take this big box home. And then I opened this box, excited about my gift, and realized there's like 450 million pieces in this box. <laughs> and that's a great exaggeration. But still, I had to put the whole thing together. Now, I don't know if you've ever put together a grill. And maybe some of you who know about things like this can do it. The guys at Lowe's who do it for a living, they seem to do it quite easily. But a guy like me who barely owns a screwdriver, found this quite challenging. And what was given to me as a gift, to be enjoyed, to be celebrated, to provide food for me and my friends and my family, turned into a great burden. A multi-hour burden. And, you know, a burden of putting things together and realizing I did it wrong and taking it apart to put it back together again. Hours. When these, when these companies send you these things, they say, ooh, assembly in two hours. They lie. Okay. They, nothing on a box that says this can be easily, we even give you the tools. They lie. Those little bitty things, they don't work. All right. It was a burden 
And during the course of this burden, I found myself cursing the gift giver. <laughs> not, not like bad word cursing, but just like, you know, the grumbling of the gift giver. Because I had to put it together. And at that moment in my life, I said, I will never do this again. I recently bought a new grill. And I paid the extra money to have someone put it together for me. And bring it to the house. I didn't even want to transport it. And it was a gift that I thoroughly enjoyed because it just, it's sitting right there in my driveway. All I have to do is turn it on and cook. Now, it's a funny story. And I'm sure we can have times where we've been given gifts and the gifts haven't been everything we thought it would be or lived up to it be. But what I want us to focus on today is that God has given us a gift. Uh, in fact, God has given us many gifts. And God's gifts are perfect. God's gifts are a blessing. God's gifts are meant to restore us. Uh, to, uh, to bring us great joy, to bring us great restoration. And yet, people have added to the gift. People have created over time an instruction manual. And, have, and, has, and, and people, men, women, have turned God's gift into a burden for people. And that's really what we see in this passage today. Uh, last time we looked at John chapter 5, this was just ma- an amazing story. Uh, Jesus is back in Jerusalem. Uh, this was in, in chapter uh, verse 1 of chapter 5. He's back in Jerusalem. He goes through the sheep gate. He goes to this place where a whole lot of sick people are, a crowd of sick people. He comes up on a man who's been paralyzed for 30, I think it's 37, 38 years in the text. He's just laying here at the pool. He can't get into the pool, but he is hoping to be healed by the miraculous waters of the pool. He's actually probably hoping that someone will come along to drag him into the pool so he can be healed. And um, I've just been reflecting upon upon the story, uh, that story all week. And I know when I preached on it, it was, this is God's compassion, this is God's knowledge, and this is God's power. But then as I was studying this passage today and going back and looking at it for context, this man was hopeless. I mean, for 38 years, he just was hopeless. He had nobody, nobody to help him. I mean, he may have had at some point, some person came and laid him at the pool and then just left. Nobody is there to help him. Nobody's there to provide him encouragement. Nobody is there to provide him any spiritual guidance whatsoever. And I found myself asking, where's the religious leaders? Where's the Pharisees? Where's the priest? Why are they not around this crowd of sick people caring for them and loving them and ministering to them? Well, the answer to that question is found in what happens today. You see, Jesus heals this man. And, and if you, I want you to kind of put yourself in the mindset of the early church reading this. Again, John's writing late. Uh, so maybe it's the church at Ephesus. It's being spread around to other churches. And they're reading this and they're like, look, I mean, Jesus healed him. Look, he, he told him to get up and take his mat and walk. And this guy's up. He's dancing. He's walking. He's he's doing the Macarena. I mean, he's all over the place doing the Tootsie Roll. Maybe he's got, you know, put your right leg in because he hasn't been able to move his right leg in a long time. And he's up there. He's doing these things. He's absolutely excited. And you can hear the audience. It's, it's, if you're there, you can hear them like, victory in Jesus. You know, they're breaking out and the readers are, this is awesome. And then John adds just this little line at the end of verse 9. And it kind of drops like a wet towel on the floor, which I don't really know what that means, but I read another commentator, so it sounded good. So if you know what that means, anyway. End of verse 9, he says, And it 
And now, that day was the Sabbath. And you got this early congregation victory. What? This is the, for those of a generation past, this is the Luke, I am your father moment. I mean, this is such a shocking turn of events. What is meant to be this time of celebration and John, John just throws it out there. He goes, by the way, Jesus did it on the Sabbath. Jesus did it on the holy day. Jesus did it on the day of rest. And everybody, the wind just gets sucked out of the room. And you might be thinking, why is this a problem? Well, Let's see what it says. Starting in verse 9, the end of verse 9. Now that day was the Sabbath, verse 10. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, This is the Sabbath. The law prohibits you from picking up your mat. He replied, Well, the man who made me well told me to pick up my, uh, he said, pick up your mat and walk. Who is this man who told you pick up your mat and walk? Interesting statements here in 13, 14, and 15. But the man who was healed did not know who it was because Jesus had slipped away into the crowd. Verse 14, after this, Jesus found him in the temple and said, You uh, see, you are well. Do not sin anymore so that something worse doesn't happen to you. In verse 16, therefore, the Jews began, oh, excuse me, verse 15. The man went and reported to the Jews that he it was Jesus who made him well. I find that interesting, by the way. He actually rats Jesus out. I mean, you see this? It's like it's like the FBI informant who, who goes back to the... Anyway, there's a lot of meaning that we don't understand there. But he goes and he rats Jesus out. And in verse 16, Therefore the Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. And Jesus responded to them, My father is still working, and I am working also. This is why the Jews began to try to kill him. Or tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father and making himself equal to God. Which, by the way, if you read chapter 1, yeah, Jesus is equal to God. But in this time period, they didn't understand that. So when you look at this story, and this, the story actually will continue as we go through it next week, as Jesus continues to respond... What we see oftentimes in John's gospel, and when you are reading the gospel of John, you will see this pattern begin to emerge. John is is a really good writer. He introduces a story with the scene and the setting. It's in Jerusalem, through the sheep gate, at this pool. That's the setting of the story. John then introduces the reader to a conflict. Uh, And then the conflict has a resolution. Jesus offers a resolution to the conflict. And then John, the author, provides explanation of what you have just read. That's just a very general pattern that you see in all the narratives that John is sharing with us. Uh, And we we saw that in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus. There's the setting. There's this conflict. Jesus and Nicodemus. Jesus resolves conflict. Then John goes in to explain what you just read. John John 4 is the same way. John 5 takes it and then adds layers to it. Because when you read it, and I broke it down two weeks ago, which is verses 1 through 9, you see the setting, you see a conflict, a man hasn't been able to walk, you see a resolution. 
Okay? And then the explanation that John gives is it's the Sabbath. And so really the, the pattern has multiple layers, but you can go back and the healing of this man is still in the context of this is the setting. That's not the real conflict of this particular narrative in John. Jesus is setting up a conflict between the Pharisees and himself. Now, it's being set up because Jesus is trying to teach people. He's trying to show them truth about the Sabbath. And so Jesus, uh, he absolutely knows what he's doing. I mean, Jesus could have went like the day before. He's like, hey, I'm here. I'm here a day early. I'm going to heal this guy the day before Sabbath. Or what's the guy's been here for 38 years. What's another day? He could have waited. But Jesus says, nope, today's the Sabbath. I'm going to do it. And this is really in John's gospel where we really begin to see the conflict between the religious elite, the Pharisees, really start to heat up. It's from this moment where they really begin to put pressure on killing Jesus. Before when he cleansed the temple, they weren't prepared for that. But now they're prepared. So that just gives you a little context about what's going on. But why is it such a big deal that Jesus did it on the Sabbath? And and maybe you can go back to when you were growing up. I remember growing up and going to church and some farmers would be cutting their soybeans on Sunday. Anybody, anybody, or corn. And my father, well, grandfather, father, this is the statement. Like, I wouldn't eat that corn, it'll kill you. Because it's being cut on Sunday, okay. Or it's like, don't give that to the cows, they'll die. Because... Today, I joke that we can't mow our yards on Sundays because it'll turn brown, right? Because it's, it's, our, it's our day of rest. Well, it's kind of similar to what's going on here. The, the Pharisees historically had taken, and we, we talked about this at the beginning, had, had taken all these laws from God's word, the Bible, and they had said, we're going to help you follow this because we don't think you can understand what God's really saying, so they're going to add things to it. It's like... God has given us all these gifts, but man says we know better than God, so we're going to add to it. You see, the Sabbath, the day of rest, was given by God to the people of God for the benefit of God's people. The Sabbath was given as a day of rest, as a day for for us to stop working our jobs. It's almost as if God says, I made you. I know what's best for you, and I know if you try to work 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you're going to kill yourself. Because your body's not made for that. So I, God, am going to command you to take a Sabbath day. Not for my benefit, Jesus says in the other Gospels, the Sabbath is not for God, it is for men. God says, I know you, I created you, I loved you, take a day off. Take it, this is a gift, I'm telling you, it's okay to sit around and watch football on Sundays. Okay, it's okay not to mow the yard on, well, I mean, Sundays is the Christian day. But, you know, what it is, is for the Jewish people, sundown Friday, you work, you, you, you work, you work really hard for them the first day of the week, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you work hard on Friday, sundown Friday, done. To sundown Saturday. That's rest. Take the day off and relax that is god's gift to you i you know i i'm a i am ai am a workaholic i know a lot of people who are workaholics i 
I work on what we would call the Sabbath. It's a Sunday. That's because I'm a pastor. So when do I have a day of rest? Saturday or Friday. I don't want you to get hung up on the day. Because I don't think it's really about the day. It's just God says take one day a week and rest. Some of you may take, like for me, I take Fridays off sometimes. Fridays is a day of rest. Where I just sit back, rest, reflect, do a little housework to help out, serve my wife and my family. But it's my day of rest. Because God knows we need it. For us, the church, we would say that Sunday is kind of our day of Sabbath because it was called the Lord's Day. Uh, the reason it kind of transformed into that was that's the day Jesus was resurrected. So while many Jewish Christians would still observe that uh, Friday to Saturday uh, Sabbath over history and time, it moved in to Sunday. And over time, men created all these weird laws like you can't cut your soybeans or mow your grass. Now... Is that what the Bible says? No. It says, keep the Sabbath holy. Now, if you're going to rest, I would advise against cutting the yard. But still, that's not in the Bible. So you got all these Pharisees and Sadducees, and they created all these things. Two things that they said. One, you cannot do any kind of medical practice on the Sabbath. So if somebody's just walking around and they break their foot... You're going to have to deal with it till the next day. The doctors are not allowed to practice any kind of healing or medicine on the Sabbath. All right, no urgent cares are going to be open. I mean, you come down with a pneumonia in your lungs, no hospitals are open to help you. That's the law that they added. They also say you cannot carry a mat. You cannot pick out. This is what's really confusing to me about the whole thing. Uh, you cannot, it, it violates the Sabbath, this is what the Pharisees say, to pick up your mat and carry it. But, but, if you tie it to your back as a part of your body and walk around with it, that's okay. You can do that. It's almost like a, at one point a Pharisee is like, you know, I really got to take my mat from this house to the next house. How can I get around? Oh, I'll just tie it to my back and make it a part of my body. See how man-made rules can shift and change to fit the rule maker, right? And so we've got Jesus violating the healing aspect of the Pharisaical law, not God's law. And then we've got this man picking up his mat. But here's what I want you to notice. Yes, it causes conflict. But the fact that Jesus does this demonstrates how much Jesus loves us. It demonstrates how much God loves us. One, that he created a day of rest for us. But then he sent his son to heal us, not just physically, but spiritually. Jesus' defense of this is going to be, my father is working today, so I am working today. Now, we know that God rested on the seventh day. That's what our Bible says, that God created in six days. In six days, God did everything to provide for creation and it says he rested on the seventh. But here's this is the truth. God never rests. Because he's God. And we're not. Okay? That just I want you to get that in your mind. God does not need to rest because he's God, and we need to rest because we're not God. We're humans. So I know that can be hard to understand, but God is always working. God is always providing. When you take that day of rest, not only is it a gift from God for you to rest, it's a gift from God so that you can worship that God is providing for your needs. God has provided you that job that's providing you a paycheck. 
or, or God is providing that food that you're cooking. God provided the farmer who grew the crops. God provided the, the tractor. God is the one providing all of these things. And so it's a day for us to reflect on that God is providing for us. And on this day of rest, we may not be working. Maybe we're not getting paid if we don't work. But God is still providing for us. And we can worship, worship, worship. And the Pharisees turned this day of worship, this day of rest, this day of relaxation into a day of burden. I mean, mean, notice what they do. They go up to them. Here's this man who has not walked in 38 years. And all they care about is that he's carrying his mat. It's like living next door to a person who's been paralyzed for 10, 20 years. Right? Guy hadn't been able to walk in 10 or 20 years. And you're woken up. You're awakened at 5.30 in the morning, just as the sun's coming up on Sunday to him mowing his yard. Now, if you don't live in a subdivision, this this might not, not hit with you, but if you live in a subdivision where the houses are like this close together, that's really loud, okay? The sound of the lawnmower is really loud. It's really, really annoying. And if it wakes you up at 5.30 on a Sunday, you're going to get upset. So you throw open the windows and you say, there's your neighbor who hasn't been able to walk in 10 years and he's push mowing, subdivision, small yard, push mowing his yard. And you grab the HOA book. That's homeowners association for you people living in the country. Because believe in subdivision there are rules. And you run out to this man and you say, hey, hey, Tom, Tom, stop mowing your yard. HOA covenant 1525 section B subsection .23 says no mowing the yards on Sundays between 9 a.m. and and you're just, you're reading the rules to him. And he hadn't walked in 10 years. The Pharisees see a guy who hasn't walked in 38 years and all they want to do is go quote the man-made law to him. Where's the worship? Where's the celebration? Where's the, uh, excuse me, sir. How did you pick up your mat? Oh, Jesus must be God. Jesus must be. They don't care. They care about putting him down. They care about throwing him uh, to the wolves. They care about criticizing him. And I just want to say this. Church, this can be a problem for us too. A drug addict comes in and gets saved and gets clean. And all we want to care about is they're not wearing the right shoes. Or their jeans have holes in them. We need to celebrate the fact that God transformed their life. What the Pharisees are doing is absolute legalism. And it's not setting anybody free. It's double locking the prison doors. Church, we can't behave like the Pharisees. There's a strong movement from decades ago that said, if you have long hair and you're a guy, then you can't be a Christian. Well, where's that in the Bible? There are traditions that say if women don't wear dresses, they can't be Christians. Where's that? Now, you might be able to find a verse that points to that. But that's not the New Testament that we follow. It's like, oh, if you don't, if you've got too many tattoos, you can't be a Christian. Where's that in the Bible? If you mow your yard on Sunday, you can't be a Christian. 
Where's that in the Bible? Where is it in the Bible? Where is it in God's law that says you can't carry a mat? You can't heal people. You can't help a friend in need. Where is it? You see, what happens is these Pharisees have these laws. And and, and a lot of things happen, but two things I want to point out is it burdens people to try to meet standards they cannot meet. But for the Pharisees, it puffs up their pride. Because they can walk around and say, I did not carry a mat today. Oh, my brother here has a compound fracture in his thigh. I didn't help him. Yay me. Pride. For the Christian, I've read my Bible through 16 times. That's good. I encourage you to do that. Pride. Because you look at someone who hasn't done that. It's pride. These man-made religious legalism doesn't save anybody. In fact, I said that the Sabbath was a gift from God for the people of God. And we listed a few reasons it was a gift. But here's the last reason I want to point out. And this applies not just to the Sabbath, but to all of God's law. All of God's law is a gift because it shows us what we can't do. And you're like, well, how is that a gift? I'll just ask you this. Let's just go through some of these. And you don't have to answer these out loud. Have you ever told a lie or given false witness? That's one of the ten. If, you're, if you say no in your mind, well, then you just did. So you're there. Okay. Have you ever coveted your neighbor's wife or coveted anything, to be honest with you? Have you ever taken anything that wasn't yours? Have you ever murdered? And you're like, nope, never murdered. I've never killed anybody. Well, that's good. Except Jesus says anyone who has talked bad about somebody or assassinated somebody's character has murdered somebody. So those of you who like to gossip and complain and talk bad about people, yeah, you're there too, right? What, what God's law says is you cannot live up to these standards. And even though man has tried to create law after law to help you live up to them, you can never live up to God's standards. And so the gift of this law, the gift that God gives us, points out to us how bad we really are. And then we get to the New Testament with another gift. The gift of a Savior. The gift of a healer. Not just someone who's going to heal physically, but who heals spiritually. What we cannot do, Jesus has done. And the punishment we deserve, he has taken from us. So that anyone who believes in him will have eternal life. And so as bad as it is for church people to be legalists and to hold it against people, here's what I also want you to see. There are people who are really stuck in a place where they're trying to earn salvation. There are people who may be here today, but there are people you may know who they have a list. Legalists always have lists. They have lists of things that says, if I can just do this, I will be saved. If I can just do this, do this, do this, do this, I will be saved. Listen, you don't have to do it because Jesus did it. You don't have to do it because Jesus did it. All you have to do is follow. All you have to do is believe. All you have to do is receive the gift. And unlike the gift of my grill, the gift that Jesus offers will never, ever burden you. It will never put you in bondage. It will set you 
free. It'll set you free. So I can't tell you definitively if this man was set free or not. The text seems to indicate it could go either way. But here's what I know. If today you believe in Jesus, you will be set free from your sins. Not because of what you do, but because of what Jesus did. So my invitation to you as we prepare and we close with this uh, last song of worship, my invitation, the invitation from this text is this. Is today the day you need to believe in Jesus? Is today the day you need to step out on faith and surrender your life to Jesus? To stop working, to stop trying to be a good person, to stop earning it, and just say, Jesus, you did it. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to accept you. I'm going to... I'm going to let you save me from my sins. Do you need to step out today and make that decision? Do you need to go public with that decision and follow Jesus into the waters of baptism? What is the Holy Spirit leading you to do today? Don't be ashamed to walk an aisle. Don't be ashamed to come and pray or to pray where you're at. Don't let the world stop you from following what the Spirit is leading you to do today. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this word and this story. Father, help us to guard against the legalism in our hearts and in our churches. Help us to view people the way that you view people. Help us to see their need for a Savior. And Father, when someone says that there's no one there to help them, let us as a church be the people who go and help them. Not to be critical of them, not to just load them up with burdens, but just to tell them that Jesus loves them and that Jesus wants to save them. Father, for our own lives, Father, help us to just focus on following you. Father, don't let us worry about lists. Help us to just focus on your grace and your mercy and your love and help us to surrender our life to you. Because we know that when we give you all, you will change us. All the things we're trying to do that we can't, you will enable us to do through your spirit. And there'll be a change from the inside out if we'll just surrender it to you. And we're thankful for the grace of God, for the love of God, for the mercy of God. Father, if there's anyone here who needs to place their faith and their trust in you, I pray that today they would do that, they would come forward, that it would transform and change their lives forever. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.